right. Good morning, church. Good morning. Everybody doing good today? Yeah. All right. Sweet. Um, I enjoyed the false spring yesterday. Um, actually, we were in the car yesterday, and my daughter, Avery, she looks out, the sun came in, she goes, Dad, it's the sun! Puts her arms up. It was really, really cute. But I, I love the sunshine. I love being here. I love being here with you guys. And I just want to say this morning, um, you may have noticed, I was back there doing the, uh, the worship slides, and now Stephanie's back there doing my slides. Um, I just want to say, next time you guys see Donald back there, give him a hug, give him a high five, let him know how much, because me just doing the, the live stream saying, hey, good morning, volume, slide, volume, one person goes, Dustin, I'll just slide behind, it's like, that guy is amazing back there, so Donald, you're in Disneyland, you're not watching right now, but if you watch this later, thank you for all you do, and you guys, serious, next time you see him, thank him, he does so much back there. I'm excited to see everyone here in person, excited for you to join us online. Hi, Mom. She's always joining me online. Um, we're going to kick off a series called Following Jesus. And um, I, I figured, you know, we, we talked about Easter, we did some things about what Easter means for us in our past, present, and, and future, and I really wanted to take some time to dive into some principles that I think we can all follow and learn when it comes to following Jesus. Now, this is going to look different for everybody. I know that my walk with Jesus looks different than your walk with Jesus. My life circumstances are different than your life circumstances. And you can say that to anybody and anything, right? We're, we're all different. Life hits us in different ways. Life blesses us in different ways. But I think there are some core principles we can see in Scripture on things we can do to follow Jesus better, and things we can do to move closer to him and then see how he works in our lives. So we're going to spend some time looking through the life of Jesus and some things we can follow with him and how we can grow in our relationship with him. Like I said, it's going to be different because uh, we may change over time, our situations change over time, our struggles change over time, but what we can see in Scripture is that he does not change. What he wants for us does not change. His principle, his heart, his love, that does not change. That is consistent, and we'll see how that applies to each and every one of us. We'll all have questions, we'll all have struggles, we'll all have moments of doubt, but we all have this incredible invitation to be in a walk and a life with him. And sometimes it will cause us to stop, just like that. And it will be awesome. But my desire is that we'll either connect with Jesus for the first time, if you haven't before, or you'll go deeper in your walk with Jesus, or we will, he's doing it on purpose, I know it, or we will just be encouraged and excited on how to passionately follow Jesus. So if you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to pray for us as we get started. God, thank you so much for today. And God, I do thank you for the stomping and the kids upstairs because that shows me they're having fun and they're here learning about you, God. It makes me excited to know that there are people here wanting to meet with you, wanting to have fun and engage with you. And I pray, God, that, that you receive that. You receive our, our, our emotions, our actions, our words, God, um, our ears, our hearts. You just accept it all in as we offer it up to you today. God, I thank you that we get to celebrate, we get to come and be in your presence. And I pray that we all learn something new today we grow deeper in our walk with you. We thank you, we love you, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. I think they knew I was praying, because as soon as I said, let's pray, they, they stopped. That's awesome. Now, question for you guys. Have you ever noticed that how your perception on things change? Uh, well, let me say it this way. How distance changes your perspective on things. Have you noticed how your distance will change your perspective? For example, um, our first impressions can be something, can be different at a distance than when they are up close. You see something from far away, it can look like something or mean something else. But then when you get close, it can look like or mean something totally different. Think of a time where you saw a friend way off in the distance, or you thought you saw a friend way off in the distance, right? You, you, see, you see someone, you wave, you're like, oh, that's such and such, and you're waving, and they get closer, and you're like, that's not 
such and such. And you, you do the awkward, you know, the hand goes down. And a couple things can either happen. Um, either the person who doesn't know you can wave back like, oh, someone's waving. Or they can give you that awkward stare, right? Who are you? And then you can either just keep waving. Um, me, personally, my, my dad embarrassed us so much when I was a kid that I don't get embarrassed much anymore. So if I wave at somebody and I don't know who it is, I'll keep waving. Hey, good to see you. I don't know who they are. But I'll just say it. But sometimes you can do that and then do the whole, oh gosh, don't look at me. Don't make that contact. You're like, what I thought you were. And it, just, it can be an awkward moment, right? Um, movies can do this. Movies, you will have a character and they'll be doing something and, and the perspective focus will change to say, you know, who is the main character in the scene? The perspective and depth will give you a difference and it will alter how you're seeing the situation of what's going on. The depth of our perspective and the distance of our perspective can change a situation. Have you thought maybe something looked good from a distance, like food looked good from a distance? Then you got close and realized there was mayonnaise on it. Yeah. Oh. Or something you don't like, right? There's something on there, you're like, oh, that's just, now that I see it up close, I don't really want to do it anymore. Something changes when you get either further away or closer up to something we're looking at. Our relationship with Jesus has this dynamic to it. Many people have a distorted view or even a misunderstanding of God because for one reason or another, we only look at Jesus or him from a distance. We say this is our view of Jesus way off here, but we don't get close enough to really unpack the heart of God. We don't get close enough to really understand that relationship that he wants with us. We keep him kind of at a distance. We have our life, he has his life, and we're good with the separation. And sometimes that can distort how we see him. So today I want to start with the story of a man who had a view of Jesus. And his view was distorted, and it was different, and it was honestly wrong until he got close to Jesus. And then everything changed. And what's great about this passage is we're going to see Jesus reveal something so great about himself to this man and the crowd. When Jesus interacts with this man, Jesus reveals what really is the heart of heaven. And that's what we're going to talk about today, following Jesus and what it means to unpack and see the heart of heaven for each and every one of us. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. We're going to talk about a man named Zacchaeus. And if you grew up going to children's ministry or Sunday school, you knew that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. There it is. There's some people grew up in the church, right? Well, it, was, um, it was a hard day for me when I was a children's pastor, when I said that to a group of kids, and they went, he was? It's like, no. Oh, guys, but Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He was known for being tiny. He was known for being a tax collector. And we'll get into just how horrible that was at the time in a minute. But let's start reading Luke chapter 19. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now I get half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. There's a lot in this passage that talks about the heart of Jesus and the heart of us and, and what happens when we encounter Jesus close. We really see through, um, through not just Jesus' parables, but really his actions and his real interactions with people, we can see the heart of heaven. 
Now, first off, there's a lot of emotion here. Jesus was a Jew, but he was in partnership with the Roman oppressors of the time, being a tax collector. So, Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector, but the oppressive government would raise taxes, they would extort money from people, they would cheat and steal, and Zacchaeus, being a wealthy man, shows that he had cheated, and he even admitted to it at one point. He said, if I had cheated people, which there's a mission, he was cheating people, he was wealthy, he was robbing his own people. This was not a guy that you wanted to be around. Um, it was said he was rich, he was good at what he was doing. He was abusing people for per personal profit. Needless to say, he was hated. Zacchaeus was hated by his own people. Now, how hated is he? Imagine, imagine this, if you will. Imagine America is invaded by a foreign country. Country comes in and takes over. Now, to establish how in charge they are, this nation executes half of the Americans. Just off the bat, 50% population, gone. Then they take the Christian population. They say, all right, now we have the Christians. We're going to take out half of you as well. That's what the Romans have done. On top of that, imagine now one of your fellow believers, one of your fellow Christ followers saying, I'm going to go work for these people. And in doing so, they cheat you, they steal from you, and they are living a wealthy life where you are now being oppressed. Does this sound like a fun person you want to hang out with? Enter tax collectors. Enter Zacchaeus being the chief tax collector. He sided with the enemy that was oppressive, that was murdering, that was enslaving and slaughtering. And he is now doing their work, cheating people, and becoming rich off of it. Now, now that you know how tax collection is viewed, now you know how people look at this man and why they were so upset when Jesus talked to him. Now, Zacchaeus, he hears that Jesus is coming to town. Now, we can assume that because of Zacchaeus' position in the, the time that he's in, he probably didn't think Jesus was going to have much to do with him. Here's Jesus, and people are excited to see Jesus. People are gathering because this man is coming and talking, and, and Zacchaeus is not really a part of what these people are doing. But he wants to see. He's curious. Now, he gets up to the tree, but what he gets up to the tree for, this is not, it doesn't say he gets up to the tree so he can jump out and encounter Jesus on the road. It doesn't say he pushes through the crowd to get to the front to intercept Jesus on the road. It says he gets to the tree just to see. Doesn't really, he's not looking for interaction. He just wants to see what the commotion is from a distance. Keep Jesus at a distance. I just want to see what's happening as he passes by. I think the, the sad truth is that sometimes in our lives, there's people on us, we can settle for this kind of relationship at times. We can say, all right, I just want to see what's going on. Maybe, maybe I, just want to, I just want to go to a small group. I just want to go to church. I just want to see what's happening. But sometimes we need to take that step closer and actually interact with what's happening. And I love that he assumes Jesus is going to keep walking. But Jesus does not keep walking. Jesus sees him. Jesus sees him in that tree, and Jesus stops and interacts directly with him. Jesus does the unthinkable, looks him straight in the eyes, this traitor, this betrayer and cheater of his people, and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. You can only imagine the gasps and thoughts of the crowd right there, right? They knew who Zacchaeus was. There were probably people that wanted to shake him out of the tree or chop down the tree he was in. But Jesus stops and looks at him. And Zacchaeus gets shocked, and he responds by accepting this invitation. He doesn't look at Jesus and say, oh my gosh, he saw me, and run away. He comes in, and he interacts with him. And there's this great conversation that takes place, and Jesus comes to his house, and everything changes. Jesus moves from being distant, a distant rumor. He moves from being this distant story of this, this incredible person who's coming and speaking truth, life, and love. He's not just a rumor anymore. It's a relationship. He gets to have him in his home, and they get to have a meal together. 
And we see Zacchaeus' life truly transformed. It's not just a, hey, I met a guy, let me think about it. In that moment, he is totally changed. His heart goes through a transformation that he couldn't do on his own. It happened because Jesus was no longer a distant relationship. Jesus was right there. Jesus was in front of him, interacting with him face to face. This happened in Zacchaeus' life, but not just in Zacchaeus' life. This happens throughout Scripture. Throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, we see this amazing story of people when they encounter God. When they see Jesus face to face, things change. No one ever leaves exactly the same. Something, there's, there's a shift. And the theme of God we see throughout Scripture, it's a theme of not wanting to stay distant. We see God interacting. We see God walking with. We see Jesus eating with. We don't just see just a teacher on a hill. There are moments where Jesus preaches, but then he interacts and he goes and he's with the people. He's in the middle of the crowd. He wants to be close. Being close to God is one of the central themes of Scripture. And I think it's a huge part of understanding the heart of heaven. The theme is this. God loves you and he wants to be close to you. God loves you and he wants to be close to you. He, he doesn't just, it's not just a desire. It's not just something he wishes for. He wants it and he goes for it. He wants to be close to you. We see it all through scripture. Constantly, people move away from God. People will do something that, that they just go, oh man, I'm not worthy. Or they'll, they'll make an action where there are consequences. And they're like, man, this is pulling me away. But consistently in those stories, we see God pursuing. We don't see God ever say, well, you know what? You're right. You're out. We see the opposite. We see God pursuing. There are times where God gives people into their desires, but God doesn't ever push them away. He's still there saying, I am here and I want to be with you. God has never felt wanting, he never wants to be away from you. Have you ever been a part of a conversation with somebody and you can tell whether it's either you or them, but, but the conversation for at least one person is over and they're not interested anymore, right? Um, in, in college, I, I have a degree in business communication. And, and one of the things we learned about was nonverbal communication. People can be talking, but they're not there. They are not engaged. There's a lot of things that says, it's funny, it's only 20% of a conversation is verbal. 80% of the conversation is nonverbal. What are your hands doing? What are your eyes saying? What are your mannerisms doing? And sometimes if you pay attention to people when you're talking, you can pick up on that, right? But they're not talking anymore. Or they're talking, but they're not here. They don't want to be a part of this conversation. And sometimes that could even be you, and you're trying to think sometimes, you're like, how do we get out of this conversation now? I need to move on. I hate awkward conversations. I gotta, I gotta fix this. Or just, you know that about people sometimes, or maybe about yourself. The great thing here is that God has never felt that about you. God has never felt like your conversation's awkward. He's never felt like, oh man, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Oh man, I just, I just, I, I oh, Dustin's gonna talk to me. He's gonna bring up this again. I just can't. Oh. God doesn't think that about us. God wants to be close. He wants to have these conversations. God is not trying to get out of a conversation with you. He's trying to get into that relationship, into that conversation with you. He wants to engage. He wants to be close. One of the greatest examples of the Bible, uh, in the Bible of this reality, of God wanting to be in this relationship, in this conversation, is when Jesus is on the cross. We talked about this recently you know, with Easter, being crucified for the sin of the world. And all the agony of, in that moment, what was, what was on his mind was loving and forgiving people. He had this, this physical and this emotional and mental pressure and torture happening. And there's something that he said to someone that happened on this cross that should always solidify and read the story of God's intention to want to be near and close to you. So to set the stage, remember, when Jesus is being crucified, he's not up there by himself. He's in the middle of two other people, someone on his left, someone on his right. And these people are criminals. And in Luke 23, 
we, we see a conversation happen, and one of the criminals starts mocking him. Says, oh, you know, they're calling you God. They're calling you the Son of God. If you really are, get down. What have you done, man? Just show them up. Get us all down and save us all while you're at it. And they start mocking him. The criminal on the other side, though, Luke 23, says this. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. This exchange will blow your mind when you think of the circumstances that, that surround what's happening right now. These people have been tortured, nailed to a cross. Jesus more tortured than them, but this was, again, these are two criminals. These were not two bystanders that were, oh, by the way, let's get rid of this, earth, this criminal and this criminal as well. These are bad dudes. Crucifixion was saved for horrible criminals. So the fact that Jesus is there, he's next to two horrible criminals. One rebukes him, and one comes to know who he is. He says, please remember me. And I love what Jesus says. Today, if I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. Not only does Jesus take the time to respond to him and listen, but this speaks to Jesus' heart for people. When a criminal asks to be remembered, which is pretty shocking, right? I mean, a lot of people probably remember what this criminal did. He's up there for a reason. But he asked Jesus to remember him right in the middle of everything going on. This is a big this is a big request. This guy looking at who he now understands is who he says he was. He's looking at Jesus and says, remember me. What I think is even more incredible than that request, though, is Jesus' response. Instead of saying something like this, well, with all you've done and with all you've hurt, I really don't want to remember you. The fact that you're on the cross next to me means you are not worth being remembered. You're supposed to be gone. Jesus doesn't say these things. He does say this, though. Well, he does, he does say, I want you with me. Something else that crossed my mind is, you know, Jesus didn't look at this guy and go, well, let me see, I've got a waiting list to heaven. There's some people that are good that i got to talk to first. Let's put you in line. If you go to the back of the line, I'll see if there's space. You've, you've done some bad things. Let's, let's wait, for, wait for your turn. Pick a number like the DM of your deal. You know, pick a line. Just, I'll, I'll get to you when I have a chance. Jesus doesn't even say that to him. He says, today, you're going to be with me today. He brings him in. This is wild. And I love, we can, we can bold that line in your Bible right there. It says, today, you will be with me. Not, you'll be around. Yeah, sure, I can get you up there at some point, someplace. He says, you will be with me. This is unbelievable and incredible news for someone of this magnitude, of what he's done to hear Jesus saying, you're going to be with me. The cross provides a perfect example of what Jesus was there to do, but it, it's, it shows that he was there to bring humanity close to him. The heart of heaven is to be close with us. This is what he says to us, the heart of heaven to be with him, with us. And when we come to him today, Jesus says that. Today, guess what? You're with me. You're not, not tomorrow. Today, you are here with me. And then sometime, short time later, Jesus is about to fully die on the cross in, in exchange our sin for righteousness. But he says something, something very powerful right before his death. It says this in Matthew 27, verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I love that. At this moment. There's no waiting. In that moment, God did something. He didn't wait until the next work day to split the curtain. He didn't wait a few days later to split the curtain. He did it right then. The split second after the price was paid, the curtain was torn, separated, eliminating the separation between us and the Father, saying, today you get to be with me. 
Eternity was written for all of us. He reminds us in this passage that there is nothing that can get in the way of us being with him and him being close to us. The ripped curtain now meant that we get to be with him. And if you weren't sure before now, I, I, I want you to understand that almost more than anything. God wants to be close. He wants to be close. He doesn't want to look at you from a distance. He doesn't want to say, there you are way over there. He wants you to be right here with him. He doesn't want a distorted, obstructed view. He doesn't want our view to be a distant, distorted, obstructed view. He wants to be right there with you. And that ripped curtain signals that. It's in and through Jesus that we get to be close to God. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I think the, the sad reality is that too many, too many of us at times, um, maybe even today still, settle for a distance. And when, we, when we, we look at what Jesus did for us, we can see that it, it deserves an up-close relationship. We're going to look at a couple things that kept Zacchaeus from Jesus. And, and maybe a couple of these things are things that we can resonate with ourselves today. Um, maybe of ways that we keep God at a distance. Because how often do we stay at a distance? And that's, the answer's going to be different for each one of us. But I think the first thing is how we see ourselves can often keep us at a distance. How we see ourselves can often keep us at a, dis a distance. For example, Zacchaeus saw himself as unworthy. He knew what he was doing. He knew he was cheating people. And in that moment, he knew he did not want to go confront Jesus. He wanted to stay at a distance because he looked at himself as someone that did not deserve it. He was okay and assumed that a distant relationship, just an observation, was all he was going to need. Because of his influence and wealth, he certainly could have been inclined to position himself to meet Jesus. He could have had a few bribes here, a few things there. He could have gone through and said, I'll stick the Romans on you. I'll tax you more if you don't let me through. He could have done those things, but he didn't. He was okay with just staying at a distance. But I think it's because of how he viewed himself in his sin and brokenness. He did not think he was worthy to see Jesus. And if, if this is true for Zacchaeus, and it can be true for us as well, guilt and shame can often cause us to hide from God. Guilt and shame are not things that we wake up in the morning going, feeling guilty, all right. Doesn't fool you in the morning. I'm going to do something today, and people are going to look at me, and I'm going to be shamed. Right on. They, they don't lift you up, right? This was the first instinct of Adam and Eve in the garden. When they realized they had done something wrong, what did they do? They hid. They didn't go, God, we messed up. Here we are. They hid, and God comes down and says, where are you? He knew where they were, but he wanted them to take that step close. He wanted them to say, hey, I know we're, we're guilty. I know we have shame, but he wants to confront it. He wants to be there with you. Our guilt and our shame cause us to run. We as humans don't run towards shame. We don't run towards doing things that are going to humiliate us. We don't run towards doing things that will make us feel guilty. It happened in the beginning. It still happens today. We can often slip into that, that guilt and shame. And, and the, the problem with that is the enemy of your soul wants that for you. He wants you to stay guilty. He wants you to feel guilty. He wants you to be so ashamed. And he wants you to think that your shame is too powerful and that God cannot take it away from you. He doesn't want us to get closer to God. When we have those, those negative thoughts, we say, oh man, I'm not worthy. That's when the enemy will say, you're right, you're not. You're right, you're right. Keep going. Nothing to change here. You're right. God doesn't want to talk to you about it. That's what he wants. God is the exact opposite. He says, come to me with your guilt. Come to me with your shame. Let's work on this together. Let's have a close relationship. The enemy wants you to run. Jesus wants you to run towards him. The enemy wants you to hide. Jesus wants you to just come out. Expose who you are. Expose your soul. Bring him in. The enemy is the master of tempting you into sin by telling you it's not that big of a deal. Your shame, oh, if you'll just feel a little guilty, it's no big deal. That's what he wants you to think. 
He wants you to keep pulling away. He wants you to run and hide. And while it's true that, yes, sin separates from God, our sin has never changed God's heart towards us. God paid that price for us. He's always loved, he's always desired, and he's always longed to bring us close to him. We see it in the beginning, we see it all the way through Revelation, him coming closer to us. Sin may separate, but God doesn't change his heart towards us. Sin may separate, but it doesn't change God's heart towards us. I want to encourage you this. No matter where you, what you've done, where you feel like you've missed the mark, no matter what guilt or shame you may be carrying today, don't run and hide from God. Make today the point where you say, I'm going to take my guilt and shame. I'm going to run to God. I'm going to run to God because he's not going to make you feel more guilty. He's going to confront it. He's going to deal with it. And he's going to take that burden away. He already paid the price for it. He will take it away. The people on the cross had plenty of reasons to doubt his worth and value. He had so many reasons to say, I shouldn't even be next to this man. I, don't, I can't talk to this man. And one of them did do that. He was mocking him. But the one on the cross that confronted himself, opened himself up to Jesus, got to be with Jesus that day. He asked me to remember it. And I'm thankful that his shame and brokenness didn't stop him from reaching out to Jesus in that moment. Another thing that keeps us at a distance is not just how we look at ourselves, but it's how we see Jesus. How do we see Jesus? I mean, we, we can see him in a number of ways, right? There, there are some people that will, will talk and preach about this almighty, angry God who just wants to spite you because of things you've done. But if you look at Jesus with that way, at that way, what's going to happen? You're not going to want to go talk to him. If, if your relationship is, I'm going to go talk to him, Jesus is going to make me feel bad, what kind of relationship is that? How we see Jesus will change. It will keep us at a distance or it will draw us close. There's a powerful story in Luke, and I know we've talked about it before, about the, the prodigal son is what it's titled, the father and two sons. And I want to read through this again because there is some important stuff I think we see here about how the son sees his father and about how we can see Jesus in this. So Luke 15, starting Luke 15, 11, it says this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself to a citizen of that country, who sent him to feed his field, sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while, was he, while he was still a long way away off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. That's a beautiful image right there. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What I love about the Bible is you can read a story and something will stand out to you. Then you can read it again and something else will stand out to you. You can read this story 50 times and find 50 different things that jump out and can be built over and over again. That's why I love scripture. It speaks so much for all eternity and through all time. But I love that in this story, we see something about perception. We see the young son's perception of his father. And here's a key reality we, we learn. 
How we perceive Jesus will affect how we receive Jesus. How we perceive Jesus will affect how we receive Jesus. In Zacchaeus' story, and in the story of this, the, the lost son, they for sure didn't think Jesus or the dad was going to have anything to do with them. The, the son had this idea in his mind that his dad was going to be harsh. His dad was going to be judgmental. He was going to have to come, and he was just going to be a slave to his father. He was going to be beat down, one of the worst servants ever, and he had this whole repentance speech built up because he was expecting his dad to run at him angry and judgmental. Zacchaeus didn't go see Jesus because of the, the, I think, the rumors of what Jesus was doing. And then Zacchaeus has this shame and guilt. He didn't want to confront Jesus. He just wanted to see from a distance. They had this perception of what was going to happen when they encountered these people, but they were both wrong. The distant perception was 100% different than the close perception and reality of the situation. I imagine the journey that the, the lost son took when he went back to his dad. It says he's rehearsing his speech. Have you guys ever done that before? You're going to go talk to somebody, and in your mind, you're just playing out. All right, here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. If they say this, here's what I'm going to do. I just, you start rehearsing the whole thing. So this son, I don't know how long this journey was, but he was rehearsing this speech of humiliation for his dad. He was planning on going to saying, this is how I'm going to be beat down. This is now, this is all I'm worth. This is all I deserve, and I don't deserve anything. Just let me be your lowest servant. And I think he's expecting his dad to come down with, uh, you know, with Thor's hammer. Like, it's, it's going to be, it's go time. This is judgment. But that's not what happens. He assumes he'll be received harshly, and he's rehearsing this, this speech. But as he gets closer to home, he sees his dad running towards him. And I also wonder, in his mind, did he think his dad was running out of the tackling? I can't believe you came back. You know, and it was going to be this big old fight. I don't know what's going through his mind, but I guarantee you, he was not expecting a hug. He was not expecting a kiss. He was not expecting the best robe, the best animal to be sacrificed. He was not expecting a party. But when he got close to his dad, he saw the heart of his dad. Guys, when, when we get close to Jesus, we see the heart of Jesus. If we keep him at a distance, we can look at him as someone who's angry. We can look at him as someone who's judgmental. We can look at him as someone who doesn't want to deal with what we're dealing with. But when we get close to him, when we come and we say, God, I'm broken, G Jesus, here I am, we get to experience that kiss, that hug, that, that robe, that welcome home moment that this son had. It's important for us to know, Jesus isn't mad at you. He's not mad at you. He doesn't want you to stay away. His desire is to bring you close and keep you close. He wants to spend time with you. And if you've been away from church for a long time, if you haven't been to a small group or interacting with people in a long time, maybe this is the first time in a long time you decided, hey, I'm, I'm coming back and, and for, for whatever reason. But I hope you understand, if your reason was because I don't know what God thinks of me, I don't know what God's going to happen. When I finally come to him, if he's going to usher down the, it's about time because I'm so mad, that's not God's heart. God's heart is one that wants to love and bring you back. The heart of heaven, God sees you. He wants you to see him. He wants you to be close. He wants to run to where you are, that you will run to where he is. There were two simple, uh, a two-question survey done at a college campus. That um, It was being known to be an unchurched campus and a, a campus that was not following God very well. But two questions were asked in a group of people who signed up for the survey. Two things. One, do you believe there's a God? Second question, do you believe God has a plan for this life, for your life? Now, because of where the interview took place, the people that put it together, they're expecting a whole lot of negative responses. But what they actually found was shocking. First question, a majority of people said yes. 
They do believe there's a God. So when they saw it, they're like, look at this. In this college campus that is not a Christian campus, a very secular college that you wouldn't have, you know, think to find that many Christ followers here, the survey actually said, yes, we believe in God. But it was the second question that was shocking. People that answered, yes, they believe in God, the interviewers and survey results, they were heartbreaking to find, but the answer to the second question was no. They didn't believe God had a plan for them. There are people, maybe in this room, there are just people in the world that believe, yes, God's there, no, he wants nothing to do with me. That's a heartbreaking thought, because that's not the heart of heaven. That's not what we see in scripture. Consistently, we see God saying, yes, I'm here, yes, I want you, I don't care what you've gone through, I want you. That is the heart of heaven. We see God over and over reinforcing the truth that he loves you and wants to be with you. I want to draw your attention to another well-known verse all the way at the end of the Bible in Revelation. Sometimes this verse can be, be passed over because Revelation is so full of metaphors and symbols. It can be really, really hard to understand. But there is a simple truth in this verse that is so powerful. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they will be with me. There's a crazy culture shift. I remember when I was a kid, when the doorbell rang, it was one of those, like, you run to the door to see who it is, right? Now the doorbell rings, and it's like, oh my gosh, who is it? Who's at the door? Look at our camera. Do we even know the door? Kids, don't go to the door. You know, that, that's kind of the, the culture shift, right? But I love that God is standing at the door and knocking. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open, I'm going to come in. I'm going to eat with you. We'll get to be together. I think most of us, though, we can see this, and we can see Jesus standing at the door and knocking on it, but then we have this different perception, right? We open the door, and we feel like Jesus is there, and he goes, hey, your salvation, here's a get-out-of-jail-free card, a get-out-of-hell-free card, like Monopoly, right? This is for you, moving on to the next house, and that becomes our interaction with Jesus. Yep, brought him in, good, clear, check the box, and move on. And I think a lot of people kind of have that perception. Prayed, saw Jesus, I'm saved, moving on. But this verse is counter to that. This verse says, I'm not just offering salvation. I'm not just offering you forgiveness and grace. I'm offering a relationship. I want to come in and stay with you in your home. We see this level of commitment by Jesus in the verse, and we see this heart of heaven towards us. He says that if you hear his voice, it is Jesus actively calling us to himself. If we hear his voice and open the door, there's personal responsibility for us to say, yes, come in. Yes, I want to be close. Yes, I want to have you at my table. Eat with me. Sit with me have a relationship, and have a conversation with him. we got to open the door. Let him in to eat. Just like Jesus with Zacchaeus. He said, hey, I'm here. I'm coming to your house. Let's go. And Zacchaeus let him in. Now, if you're planning to hang out with somebody, sometimes, and, and you don't know a person very well, oftentimes when you just want to get to know somebody on a, on a surface level, you can say, you know, hey, let's get together. And there's not really food involved. It's kind of like, hey, we're hanging out. You know, we're meeting at Starbucks. But, but when relationships are built, I love that all the time in Scripture relationships are built, it's around a meal, around a table. And Jesus does that with people, and then Revelation even says that, hey, this is not just a let's get coffee and chat, this is a let me in, let's hang out. Let's go in your home. Inviting someone into your home in biblical times, that was the welcoming of family. This was, this was not just a, we're going to have lunch and I'll see you later. This was, you are now a part of my home, a part of my household. And Jesus uses that so often, he says, I want to be in your household. I want to have a meal with you. I want to have this communion with you that's not just a surface level relationship. This is family getting built. That is, this has always been the desire in the heart of God, the heart of heaven, to be close, to be intimate, to have a relationship towards people that he loved and created, and to have him close to us and us with him. Don't doubt for a moment the heart and the goodness of God to want to know you. 
He loves you and doesn't desire to see you from a distance. He doesn't want you to see him from a distance. He says, come close. I stand, I'm knocking, let me in, let's do this together. I want to invite the worship team back up today. And I want to close with one of my uh, favorite verses because of this exact topic. James 4, 8 says this, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. I love that. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. It doesn't say come close to God, and God will be shocked with what he sees. It doesn't say come close to God and be prepared for a woman. It doesn't say those things. Come close to God, he will come close to you. His heart is for you, not against you. The heart of heaven is not judgmental. The heart of heaven is, is, the heart of heaven is, not, is not to beat you down and shame and humiliate. It's to lift you up. It's to say, yes, you came to be broken. Now you're restored. Let's do this together. This is a powerful internal call to all of humanity that he wants to be close to you. But we've got to make that decision to let him in. It's not saying get fixed up before you come to Jesus. Not saying Jesus is saying, hey, you know, go go do this, go make this right, and then talk to me. Just bring me in in the front of it. Let's do it together. Today, before we, we leave service, I want to invite you to, to think about this in your own life. Think about your relationship with Jesus. Are you following him? Are you following him right now? If you're online today, maybe you haven't made a commitment to Jesus, there's a button you can click that says pray, and someone will connect with you, and you can talk about your walk with him right now. If you're here today and you want to talk to somebody, you can um, come talk to me. Give me a call. Shoot me an email. Let's talk about your walk with God and how if you feel far from him, let's talk about, let's talk about talking to God about it. Get in your relationship right with him. Maybe you once were walking with God, but you feel off course and you want to make today that day where you draw a line in the sand. You say, today, that's done. And I'm now crossing into a new relationship with him. I want to invite you to do that today. His mercies are new every day. Jump into it. Open up that door. Let him in and say, you know what? God, today I want to see your heart. Don't want to see you from a distance. Don't want to look at you far away and say, oh, maybe that's what God does. Maybe that's what God thinks. Get to know him. Spend some time in the Word. Spend some time in prayer. Let God in the forefront of your life and see how he works in it. Maybe hard. Most of us, it will be hard. There'll be things that, that we get called out on, but it's not a shame call you out. It's a let's work on this call you out and see God's heart for you. Would you stand with me? I love that the, the more we dive into scripture, the more we see this incredible, loving heart of a father. And I know that I've shared before, me being a father made me understand a little bit more of God's love for us. But to know that he loves me more than I could ever love my kids is an incredible thought. To know that he loves you more than you've ever loved anyone or anything in your life should blow your mind. The heart of heaven is one to be close and to love you above all else. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for your heart. I thank you that as we, we see through the life of Jesus, we see the heart of heaven that draws close to you, God. And I pray that in our lives, we, we push away anything that we think would be a hindrance of bringing us closer to you. God, God, we don't let anything be a blockade, anything be a roadblock in our walk towards you, God. But we don't just walk towards you, God. We run to you because we know that you are running to us like the Father in, in Luke, God. We see the Father running to his Son. We know that you are running after us. Your goodness is running after us, God. And I pray that we come to you, we let you in, and we have an amazing new relationship with you where we are closer than ever. God, I thank you that you want to be close to us and that you draw us close to you each and every day. And I ask that we leave here today closer than ever before. Thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.
Thank you for being here today, church. Thanks for joining us online. If you can, come in person next week. Church, this week, let's draw close to God. Let's draw close and trust that his goodness and his faithfulness will show true. You guys are loved. Have a great week.